Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Learning Journeys podcast from Lacuna Learning. We hope you're all keeping well and in this episode we are delighted to be joined today by Jen Cody. Originally from Waterford in Ireland, Jen was an international basketball player, although she started out competing very successfully in Irish dancing, something she's very proud of. She is currently coach developer at UK Coaching, working with performance coaches in Olympic and professional sports. Jen's had an amazingly varied career, having studied applied computing before moving into performance analysis and psychology. Uh, I first met Jen a couple of years ago, actually, at a UK Coaching Coach Developer Family Day. She became curious about my work and I became curious about her work and, and, and we kind of became friends from there. She also came along to Lee Valley in London last year when I was uh, looking after some of our slalom athletes down there. She was just curious to learn about different sports and different environments. So She is someone who uh, never fails to make me laugh. We've already had a bit of a giggle getting prepared for this podcast today. Uh, and somebody who positively challenges my work. So I'm completely thrilled to have her along to share her journey. Thanks so much for your time, Jen. So many giggles in that intro already, Douglas. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and to to see what way our conversation meanders this morning. One poignant point of that intro was uh, she was a basketball player. And I think for a lot of athletes, you know, when you get to a certain stage and people go, oh, an ex this, or you were an athlete, I kind of go, oh, those good old days <laughs> when, when 5Ks were easier. <laughs> oh, yeah, Lord. Yeah, I definitely know that feeling. And you're also now the first person to have provided comment on the intro. So thanks for that, Jed, as always, breaking you're the most rules. most welcome. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. <laughs> Listen, I don't think warming up is going to be a problem, but uh, by way of meeting the regular feature on the podcast, because people are interested in this. If you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go? Who would you go with? And what would you do? So as a fan of this podcast and having listened to it multiple times, I often pause and think of this question. I know other people have said that too. And early doors, I was off in tropic, exotic country and I had a list of famous people. I was like, this is what I do. This is what I do. And um, would it have to be paddling? I don't know. I'll have to ask Doug. And actually, where I'm at right now, I would love to be in Ireland uh, on one of the many beaches that surround the city that I live in, walking with my granddad. He is a man with endless stories. He is the best storyteller I have ever met. And to my nan's detriment, may I add, when I do ring home, he starts the story of how was your week in 1940? And nan starts it on, oh, it's a good day, Jen. How are you doing? So it would be with Grandad, it would be on the beach in Tremor, and we'd be having a walk and talking about everything he's built around the city, who he knows, who knows who and what's gone on. Yeah, that's, I think, where it is. Oh, Jen, you did not disappoint with that one. That had a lot of thought in it. And interestingly, a lot of people went abroad. I, I hedged my bets. I had one in the UK and one abroad. But you stay true to who you are and where you're from. Isn't that, that's just brilliant. And I could just see the two of you walking along the beach shooting the breeze, getting the crack. So uh, fantastic. Listen, I've already... It would also probably be... Oh, sorry. It would also probably be an adventure to get home. (laughs) (laughs) With all this COVID stuff going on. So, yeah. I should say that question's always caveated with there are no COVID restrictions in the world. You can do whatever you want. Um, Uh But you're right. At the moment, it would be something of a mission to get home to see your granddad. Yeah, it would be. Anyway, I'm sure things things will, will improve, of course. 
Now, I have left some breadcrumbs here for Irish dancing, which almost seems stereotypical um, that that would be the case, but of course it's true. People must be, people know you quite well. You're a well known figure in our parts, but they probably don't know a whole lot about where it all started for you. So, where does sport begin for you and where did that journey lead you? Well, listen, you know, when you know, people say, oh, yeah, what other sports have you done? And what was your journey like? I usually started swimming. And I say, oh, yeah, national level swimmer. I did this, this and this. Met some lifelong friends, had a positive experience. You know, it wasn't for me, moved to basketball. And it really was talking to you uh, about a month ago that I think, was it Leslie's podcast we were talking about? Or maybe uh, someone else we were talking about dancing. And I was like, sure, I used to do Irish dancing. And there was a giggle. And I was like, no, I actually did. And then I realized that I'd blocked it out somewhat. And I don't think it was the debate of, you know, the sporting debate. It was really around the experience I had. It was a, a horrific experience from the the get up, as you can imagine. I know people who know me, like the tight curls of the old school curls that, you know, your head is hurting as you sleep. Um, the demonted dresses that I used to wear. But it was it was unfortunately at the time the poorest coaching I'd ever experienced. And it gave me um, that feeling early doors of, you know, what intimidation was. We were in a small little hall. Uh, It just was a really poor experience of coaching. Um, And I I carried some of that and probably the reason I moved from the sport. I remember going to many competitions where I'd I'd fortunately done well and won some sort of trophy, but was crying. And that's what I remember. Those are the memories that I have. I don't remember having happy memories um, whether it was a win, lose or draw kind of thing. And also the funny memories, when we speak a lot about parents now, and I you know, I don't have my own children, but I definitely see how my parents got wrapped up in in the intensity of what, what you need to do to win, you know, and what they should do. So we converted the room, a spare room that we had at home, put all wooden floors down, put a dot on the wall and had a tape recorder in the room. I mean, I'm sure there's some movies that have been created about <laughs> this horrifying kidnapping scenario that was in this room, hours and hours of practice over again, getting the right sound, the right start. So thank goodness swimming was my saviour and, and my parents uh, committed to bringing me to the pool at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> wow. I I deliberately didn't ask you about that journey into dancing before the podcast because I suppose I wanted just just to really hear it and I didn't think you were going to say that. I knew it knew it had been intense. I didn't realise, as you put it, that that was where you learned what intimidation was and, you know, that it was that that just, yeah, wow. I don't, don't really know where to go from there, but you said that swimming was your saviour. So I'm, I'm really interested in what why was it your saviour and I guess, well, what does swimming give you that maybe dancing didn't give you? I feel looking back now that, you know, I was never destined to be an amazing swimmer. I was probably in the top maybe 10 in the country. Relay teams were in the you know the top two or three. And I remember thinking there was a couple of um, swimmers in, in the club I worked, or worked with, I didn't work, um, a couple of swimmers that I was swimming with who were making the Youth Olympics team and the national team. And I thought, oh, gosh, will I get to that stage? But it was probably the work I think I'd taken from the dancing, which is a plus. But I just loved the coach and how he coached. But it it wasn't, it was just that it was completely different from what I'd, I'd experienced. There was no parents around to interfere. There was no kind of expectation from them. So I had a different type of relationship that was forming in the sporting space with my parents. The ownership for me to compete and the responsibility was on me. The coaching 
uh, was at the other end of the spectrum completely. So didn't probably didn't probably marry what I really needed, um, and I didn't know what I needed, so I didn't ask at the time. But it definitely was a space where we had a lot of fun. Um, some really positive experiences and that's where the the travel to competitions we were doing a lot of trips to Cardiff um, a lot of you know away trips up to to Belfast and you know there was national competitions as well that I really enjoyed so I was still getting the exposure at national level with the competition but there was high support in that space as well. Really interesting you said I just loved the coach and how he coached um it's really interesting if you ask anyone who uh, who their best and favourite teachers were at school, they almost always come back with people that just got who they were and got what they were about. Um, so I just got that, that real sense of, of that from, from your coach and that you said there about that really high support um, that maybe was, yeah. was maybe lacking a little bit in your experience in dancing up to that point. Yeah, and it's funny because like, uh, Coach Brian is still on uh, Facebook and you see all the people that I swam with are still connected. We don't speak regularly, but we'll support each other in in a, not just the typical social media fashion, but we'll encourage, you know, to, you know, on a birthday or if they're going for a job or anything that we see through social media or WhatsApp. So there's a connection there in that space that was created for us to grow. I, I think what I was missing then was that extra level of maybe competition or team cohesion that I found when I moved into the basketball world that was like both of those previous worlds being mushed together and going oh yes I feel at home here um yeah and that lasted for gosh 15-20 years afterwards okay so you've just provided the perfect segue into the basketball journey so you said like I kind of knew I wasn't destined to be an international swimmer but you found something in swimming that maybe rescued sport and I guess organized sport for you um, how did basketball start and where did that lead you? Oh, it was, a, it, was, it was an interesting start. So we were fortunate, I was fortunate that the school I went to had a great basketball history. So, you know, at the top level in the country they played, they had amazing coaches um, and the school that I was in was a feeder into this club. So there was a great relationship, a lot of vibrancy and the success was already there. So that itch to be part of this was really, um, really appealing. So... I remember going into the gym and seeing what was happening and been really interested to to kind of explore it more, but I was still swimming. So I was trying to hedge my bets at my parents to say, listen, can I do both? And they were like, do you have the time? Do you have the energy? So had an opportunity to go and train for the first year team this um, year. What, what What is it? Eight, seven. Um, first year team, made the team and I was training you know, three evenings a week having a, a game with the club and then doing every morning in the swimming pool bar Sunday. So I was really kind of pushing myself to to see if I could keep both of them going and would they complement each other. And then there was a point where I there was a, a regional selection team and there was a little bit of a drip feed that I possibly might make the national team. And that was what I'd wanted that I didn't have in the swimming world. I didn't I didn't maybe avail the opportunities or have the reconnections or have the motivation to bring myself to the next level. So Lo and behold, anyway, go to this competition, play well, exposure to the coaches that were selecting the team. And I made the under 15 national team. And that for me was it. That was the commitment that kind of pushed me over the other side, said, listen, swimming, thanks for everything you've given me, um, coaches and friends, but I'm moving into this space. And I, did, I never looked back. 
Uh, I can't say that all those experiences were amazing from a, a coach and athlete point of view. And I'm sure if I was to chat with those coaches now, they'd go, gosh almighty, you know, <laughs> did we really do that? Did we really run in the snow two miles? Did I travel the length and breadth of, of the country to train and play? You know, and, and you do. Your choice is sacrifice, whatever word fits well in there. Um, I made the choice to commit. My parents were brilliant at driving me again up and down the country or we'd get the train because it was three girls from my club or this the city that made it but it, it had all the bite you know this next level what's next what's next how much training can we do and because the club was so successful I was I transitioned very early into the senior team there where that was that was a rude awakening <laughs> training with the best team in the country uh all a good bit older and they knew they knew what training was they knew what commitment was all those tick boxes um, and they were in a space of really kind of the, you, you come to train, you come to compete. And um, so row in, <laughs> row in, young girl. So, yeah, that was an interesting one. OK, so I've had this lovely transition from dancing into swimming into basketball. And then through, like I suppose, like most people, you end up doing things in a not particularly planned way. And you find yourself with the, like the national senior setup. What was that transition like? And I, and I guess, where did that lead you to? Well, if I'm to be honest, my experiences early doors, so 15, 16, all the way up to probably under 20s, there was things that I was collecting along the way that I, I wasn't, that were making the experience maybe they were slowing down the experience for me or they, it wasn't as positive as it could have been so there was little negative parts in there that I was holding on to and I think when I started coaching so my sister came into into the same school and I we had that gap year so I thought you know I'll take it on I'll take on some coaching and because I'd had some really good quality coaching from a technical point of view and I, and I was really curious about what I could bring and the vibrancy I could bring I was like, right, I had some you know, crazy coaches, some good coaches, some maybe not so good coaches. What can I gather from all of those and, you know, give to these, support these players? And if I was to look back, Doug, on my first year of coaching, where I thought I was the bee's knees, we'd won bronze medal in the nationals. I thought, oh, God, this coaching malarkey, I'm good at. Oh, my God, how embarrassing. I was bellowing from the side. I was moving players like they were in this chessboard. And they had success because... They'd, they'd come into a culture of of basketball in the school. It was what they were known for. And, you know, some players had some skills and talents and uh, things to offer and others uh, brought their own flair. So we had a, a really cool group of, of athletes and it was very little to do with me. I just grabbed them, got them together and off we went. So I learned on the way uh, that paralleled my international experience. So I was always really ambitious to get to international level coaching so I could possibly influence some change in that space have more transparency maybe nurture in a different way and, and it was never about the tech tech it was never about challenging my my technical ability I thought I could always stretch to that but it was like when you get players from all over the country as small as it is traveling six hours or traveling five hours and and there's loads of financial pressure how can I support those athletes so that isn't an issue and those parents that isn't an issue and make this an incredible experience to represent your country where some bits had been missing for me. So that that's, you know, the enjoyment of coaching came really, really early. And if it was that sticky pasta or sticky hook of success, then yeah, so be it. But I, I hope, <laughs> I hope people would say as I meandered through my coaching career, this changed and I became more self-aware and stuff. Yeah, that's, of course, 
consistent with the person that I know that you would immediately highlight where you perhaps could have done better in your first season. (laughs) But of course, there would require some self-awareness for you to be able to recognise that um, in order for you to recognise that maybe what you were doing wasn't as effective as you perhaps thought it was. And I can certainly identify with that journey, you know, looking back that it's, I suppose I had joined a completely different sport of rowing. I had read everything, you know, I, I knew everything. I just, there was nothing I didn't know, right? And I, if I just enlightened the athletes for long enough, then, then they would just do it better, right? And, and that would be okay. And, and I suppose as an early on in your coach, that's not a terrible idea. But I'm, I suppose I'm interested in what was the, the thing, what was the trigger that went off for you that made you realise that perhaps there was another way of doing this? It's a good question. Uh, for me, I was very tuned into what enjoyment and fun was and what I was doing. I'd had some poor experiences, as I mentioned, or experiences that just didn't make me laugh. and They didn't engage me. They didn't cognitively kind of stimulate me. So I was trying to piece together all of these things. So I, I, I know after that first year, or I knew kind of going through that first year that I wasn't getting it right. So I had some people around me to reflect with, even I was only I was I 16 at that stage, but I knew the importance of not just going on this solo run and not keeping people on the outside. So I was checking in with other people, uh, getting you know advice or mentorship from anybody that was around, come watch my session, what do you think of this? And, and I also was tuning in to the girls into those athletes I had in front of me, into, you know, my sister and her friends that were there that just came to have fun. And I realized very quickly after that, that when they didn't enjoy winning that bronze medal and they felt, oh gosh, the pressure of this. And I could see it being drip fed at home and thought initially it was the sister relationship thing. But I go, Joe, you're doing something wrong here. You're doing something wrong here. How can we strip this back, check in more? And that's where like relationships were poor, that safe space is so important now and it has been for a really long time. I've changed how I approach it. I've, you know, not got it right every time, but it's definitely been the important part for me to to check into what I understand enjoyment to be for everybody that's around me. And if I need to be the joker and the laugher, even in a social space, I'll do that. You know, I don't, even if it's the sacrifice kind of, you know, whatever I, you know, whatever experience I want to have, I like people around me feeling comfortable, feeling happy, feeling engaged. So yeah, that was one of the triggers. Yeah, what a lovely reflection. I feel compelled now to follow a particular line of inquiry, which is that it strikes me in the work you now do as a coach developer. I suppose lots of the ways you work now makes a lot of sense to me because I now understand where a lot of that has come from. Um, so I'm dead interested in how, I suppose, the lessons you learned early on there influence what you do now, particularly that real interest of yours around you talked about relationships, rapport and safe space. My assumption would be that the things you learned coaching those girls, creating good environments for them to flourish and for them to challenge themselves and progress and so on. My assumption is that you've applied that to working with coaches, but I'm just interested in, in exploring that a bit, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, a couple of different people have asked in the in the last few years about coach development and I think as a coach, you're, you're always a coach developer as well. Whether people tag it or label as as that, or you can strip away kind of all the components of it and go back to, if I have an assistant coach, I'm supporting a person to develop and they're supporting me to develop. So in its really kind of primitive state. 
And then we might watch videos together about the team that we are coaching. But we might also say, what do you think of your performance and what do I think of mine? And so there was an element of, the, of that that always existed from, from early on. And then into the role I'm in now, looking from a coach to the coaches, it definitely has threads of everything I've experienced, whether it was, you know, that portion of 12 years of playing and 10 different international coaches. And I saw the importance of communication and clarity of role and acceptance or whether it was the development of my understanding of emotional intelligence and my own self-awareness and the people around me and where the motivational elements came in. Like all of that piece together is definitely contributes to, to the lenses I have. I say lenses because I really am very conscious that the different journey of journeys I've had in and out of academia have led me to kind of lean towards mental health well-being or the sports psychology or the performance analysis, like all the the interdisciplinary team elements right okay how can we look at this from what the coach where the coach is currently at that kind of constructivism approach and where where have they come from what's influencing what they do what do they do do they know what they do how aware are they what's motivating them in this long career that you know we know it's not always financially in in this country and a lot of other countries you don't dive in and go making my millions from coaching it's that humanistic connection between people that, that draws people in to support others. So for me, it's it's one of the, the happiest jobs, most rewarding jobs. Yet if people ask me to measure the impact, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I find it really hard to, to put the impact that I might have as a coach developer in a box. There's loads of different ways that I can explore it and we have and we continue to do that. But the nature of having a quality relationship, the nature of sitting down to support somebody and understanding that maybe 10 years time that might have an impact or it may not. But that's OK. <laughs> I'm sort of just trying to make sense of that amazing last couple of minutes it happens in every podcast. So I'll do it again. Um, I will encourage my listeners to listen back to the last three minutes. There was a just a ridiculous amount of stuff in there of experiences and expertise and reflections upon the nature of our work and so on and, and we could we could undoubtedly I suppose pull that apart and talk about that for another two hours if we had the time so we may, maybe have to get you on for an episode two to talk about some of that I think I'm really interested though and I suppose that journey as a coach developer or maybe lessons you learned along the way for people maybe for coaches as well actually People coming into these roles, what have been some of the big lessons you've learned along the way? What's maybe some of the advice you might offer other people going through that journey? One of the things that I, I suppose I was reflecting on there as you, as you were speaking is that coming from an individual sport background, it wouldn't have been obvious to me that I would have a role to develop other coaches because I would generally work on my own and do my own thing. But of course, coming from that really rich team sport environment, it was obvious to you that, well, if I want to provide the best environment for these players and I'm going to need to develop this coach with me. So it was obvious to you. So there's different experiences. So yeah, so I'm just really interested, sorry for a slightly rambling question here. And I suppose what what I mean, some of the big lessons for you as you made that transition in, into that coach developer space? Yeah, that's there's been a few. So what advice uh, could I give going forward? I think I thought about this, obviously, I reflect on the role I'm in uh, two and a half years now. The role I was in before that, I was doing a similar role in schools, in primary schools with teachers in London, 
in really some really tough schools in London. And I think I've always had in new roles, there's a, a you know, a quiet confidence that bubbles away, but that's married with the imposter syndrome that I might have. So the being humble part has been in my nature, but also being confident in the journey that I've been on to to give a richness that maybe other people don't give. So everybody gives some gold based on the journey that they're they've been on. So I, I tend to have amazing people present company included around me to check and challenge and to really embrace those challenges and understand true maybe conversational competence that it's okay to disagree and it's okay to have those conversations and embrace those conversations and then take time to reflect on those but another part for me is paying it forward I think I've been fortunate I've been fortunate to have good and bad experiences in and out of sport. I've been, I've had some amazing mentors that throw me in the deep end of you know, really big roles that I've had and I've embraced them, but I've always made sure that I've made time for others. And I think that's really important. A lot of people, you know, give the advice of be curious. I don't know if you can force someone to be curious. I think when they're in an environment that they're happy, they're engaged, they feel valued, there's a sense of belonging, then they become curious. Thanks, Jen. It's never easy when people like me ask you to just give advice and, you know, or, or things you've learned along the way. As always, there are gold in your answers and there was gold literally in that one. So you talked about everyone's got gold within them from their journeys. They've got stuff that's there that's so rich. We just need to look at it. It's okay to disagree with people. So this idea of having a network of people who don't necessarily always agree with you. I talk a lot about this idea of critical friends. Now, Alan Lynn, who was uh, one of my first guests, uh, he enlightened me with that term over a decade ago, and he's definitely that person. And there's loads of people out there like that, people who are on your side, but they're allowed to tell you when you're being an idiot and when you could do something a bit better. And then I love this idea, Jen, of paying it forward, making time for others. I think that's... As we go along in our journeys, I suppose a lot of us have this imposter syndrome that that we don't have anything of any value because we're still learning. But of course, if you've done it for a long time, there are people out there who would love if you would just share some of what you know um, so there is a bit of that responsibility to maybe leave something leave something behind. We could keep chatting for another hour quite easily, but I, I, think, I think we should probably just pause there and let people make sense of that. I just want to pick up a couple of things you said early on that just are really sitting with me. Thanks for sharing that journey early on in dancing that, while on the surface highly successful, undoubtedly gave you a lot of the work ethic and drive that you now have. You also talked about it as being a pretty intimidating and probably at times slightly soul-destroying experience. So thanks for sharing that. And it's just a really interesting one for people to just to reflect on. Then this amazing journey into swimming. And I just love the coach and how he coached and, and he just got you and got how to support you and so on. Um, I love that you still call him Coach Brian, by the way. He's still Coach Brian. He's forever got that title. And then your journey into basketball, where I guess it kind of blended that competitiveness, that drive you'd had in dancing, but but also with a bit more support that you'd had from swimming. It's maybe somewhere in the middle. Lent you into that lovely journey into coaching. And I love that bellowing from the side description, which I've got this image now of you just like giving it what for on the side. And yeah, I've, I've kind of witnessed that coach and moving them around like a chessboard. I love that, that expression. And that journey to coaching and what that looked like for you and trying to develop others and take them with you and some of the lessons you've learned along the way. So Jen, thank you so much for sharing your journey. You are quite active in the world of Twitter and so on. Where can people keep a track of 
where you are and what you're up to and what you're sharing? Where's the best place to get hold of you? Yeah, I think Twitter, as I've been told, is, uh, my phone is an extension of my hand on some days. So Twitter, I'm at JennyCody10. That would be a, an easy place to find and happy to have a conversation with anybody in and out of sport. And I'm always, always good to listen and share, <laughs> share a good story. So yeah, that'd be a good place. Thanks again, Doug. Okay, so Twitter. Are you on Insta or anything like that? Are you? Not big. Not big. Not a big okay. Insta user. But you're a big Twitter user. Twitter, yeah, that's all okay. I can manage in the time I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, but she commits to it, like all things Jen does. If she's going to do it, she does it properly. So she's she's on Twitter <laughs> and she's yeah, hard work and consistency. <laughs> a very good Twitter citizen, or I think that's a good description of you. So yeah, check her out, everyone. See what she's up to. She's Busy ladies, uh, day jobs, uh, UK coaching. She also does work for West Ham, is that right? Yeah, yeah, performance coach for women's I nearly team. got that wrong. I could have given another London club and got in big trouble over that one. So <laughs> I didn't. So uh, check out what she's up to. She's a really interesting person. She's always happy to have a conversation and just curious to learn, as you've probably got a sense of that. Jen, thank you so much for your time. I'm so, so, so grateful. And that was an absolute hoot, as I knew it was going to be. Um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. There are a lot of really good things in there, so I would encourage you to listen back. Keep an eye out for future podcasts and obviously hit subscribe to make sure that you don't miss out. And at the moment, everyone, please stay safe. 